Hi, welcome to our podcast, Two Truths and a Dirty Lie, a podcast about facts, figures, and weird things from the past. I'm your host, Dez, and I'm here with my co-host. Hi guys, my name is TMT. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome, welcome. So this week's bonus is African female kings. Um, have you seen the Woman King trailer with Viola Davis? No, I haven't seen that yet, but it looks interesting. It is actually re- really, really epic. It is about the Dahomey warriors in Benin. Mod- Republic. Yeah, yeah. modern-day Benin Republic. The Fon people. I find it actually really awesome. Last year, I was working on a documentary, and I actually went to the Benin Republic. I went to Dahomey and Wida with our special guest today, Mr. Olashikbo Shashare senior advocate of nigeria one time attorney general of lagos state and a historian and documentarian who was um my boss (laughs) but before we speak with him i am going to hit you with today's fact number one ahebi yubagwe the only female king of colonial nigeria was once a prostitute and slave number two Kandake Amani Renas, the female king of the Kush kingdom, defeated the Romans twice and cut off the head of Augustus Caesar. Wow. And number three, Nzinga of Ndongo and Matamba, female king of what is now northern Angola, became king after her brother, who was the king at the time, killed her infant son, because he was jealous of anyone who could take the throne of him from him, and so she took the throne. Interesting. Um, I'm just going to have to say the lie. Um, the Kush region is like um, it's the Middle East, right? Like no, Kush region is modern day Sudan. Oh. So we have Dahomey, um, which is modern day Benin Republic. Yeah. You have the Kush Kingdom, which is modern day Sudan, and we have Ndongo Amatamba, which is modern day Angola. Okay. So uh, I think so these are all African female yeah. kings, yes. I was relating it to the Hindu Kush, which is a different region entirely. Um I'm going to say that the lie is that um Augustus died in the Kush kingdom fair enough yeah yeah so you think that the only female king of colonial nigeria was a prostitute 100 percent, and that nzinga stole the throne from her brother who killed her baby yeah stranger things have happened fair enough you are correct oh that's the thing, man. You just have to be confident. Don't think too much about it. Power through and you'll get there. You'll, you can all be like me one day. Uh, I don't really think people want to be like you. Yeah, they want to be like Your you. track record. This is what... See what I say about men. One win and then you think you're a lecturer. I'm ready to do this. I'm you're still, Elena, I'm my still, dear. Okay, let's go. All right. So, I spoke with Mr. Shashare about Ahebi... Ubabe, um, because he speaks about the women's war in his book, A Plateau of Gold, which is about Nigeria's journey uh, to independence. Okay. But I've read that. Oh, did I? Did, that is actually true. Did we buy each other the book? Did you buy me the book? No. I bought myself the book. <laughs> yeah. Oh. 
Well, if anyone hasn't read it, you should. It's, it's really interesting. It's a great book. Yeah. So, Ahebe Ubagbe was born in Orgute, Enugu Ezike. Um, and she was, as a young girl, she was evading an oracular pronunciation that ordered that she be offered in marriage to a female deity in retribution for her father's crimes. So, essentially, she was going to become the slave to a female god, um, a female deity. Um, so she ran away um, from Orgute and escaped to Igala land, which was just north of Unsuka. When she went to Igala land, she became a prostitute. So she went from being a slave to a deity to then a prostitute in Igala land. She learned to speak many languages, including Igala, Nupe, Pidgin English, and of course she also spoke Igbo. Her sex work and linguistic skills gave her access to British officials and the Atta of Igala, who not only facilitated her return to the Unsuka division and to Enugu Ezike, but supported her claim to the office of headman, warrant chief, and later Eze, making her the first and only female king of Enugu Ezike and the first and only female king of colonial Nigeria. Pre-colonial Nigeria. No, of actually of colonial Nigeria. Okay. So pre-colonial Nigeria, you have a Queen Amina, which modern day historians stylize as a queen. Um, but not a king. Yeah, but she was a king. So it's very important, I think, for us to understand why I'm using the word king to describe these women. And I probably should have said this in the beginning. But a lot of African languages are not as gendered as English or French, for example, which were our prevailing colonial masters. So, first of all, their understanding of our languages and our rule or monarchical system was always misinterpreted because we speak different languages. Absolute rulers in certain regions in Africa had the same title. An absolute ruler is a king regardless of whether or not they are a woman or a man. Mm. The role of queen is actually who is married to the king. So Nzinga had male queens and male concubines because she was a king, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Eze is a king. It doesn't now become queen. Now It doesn't now become gendered. Amani Reynas was a kandake, which is an absolute ruler. So yes, I will now speak with Ms. Ashash about Ahebi. Today, I'm here with a very special guest, Mr. Olashipo Shashare, an avid historian, author of many books, including The Platter of Gold, a documentarian, senior advocate of Nigeria, and one-time attorney general of Lagos State. Welcome. Hello, Des. Can I have, can I have to call you Des? Can no, I you, you can what? call me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can call me Adesua. So, we're talking about female kings, and we're talking about Abhebi Yugabi. Yugabi, yes. Who was the king or Eze and warren chief of Enugu Ezike from the mid 1920s to 1939. She was coronated in the mid 1920s. So, what do you know about her? Well, she was warren chief appointed by the British government. Yeah. As part of um, imperial colonial rule uh, that was prevalent in Nigeria that created Nigeria. So, the crown colony of Nigeria 
was uh, a colonial government designed to administer Nigeria. So yeah. she was one of the um, instruments of that colonial government. Yeah, so she was an instrument of the colonial powers, essentially. Absolutely. Because I did find it strange that she was a king in the east where they do not have kings to begin with. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's not like there are male kings in eastern Nigeria at this time. The system of government is not, you know, like you would say in northern Nigeria where you have kings or you have, or in even southwest Nigeria where you have the Oba, for example. You don't have this in the east. Um, so this was a position that was created for her, right? Mm. I learned that she was originally a slave. Um, she was sold, so she ran away to Igala land, where she then becomes a prostitute, but not in the Western sense of the word prostitute. I would say maybe it's closer to what people would imagine an escort to be. She was very skilled in meeting different people and improving her station in life, essentially. And these British officials that she befriended in Igala then took her back to Enugu Ezeke and made her their warrant chief. So you said that warrant chiefs were usually not chosen from the upper echelons of society at that time, or? Yeah, I mean, she, she fit um, a stereotype that was common in the Eastern province, as the area was called at that time. And you're right, you've done your research well. The ethnography of the Eastern province was um, such that there wasn't any natural um, monarchical system. You know, it was uh, an age-grade traditional administration. So villages and larger towns were administered in that manner of age grades mm. and elder eldermanship. Mm. Um, so the older you were, the more authority you commanded. So it wasn't a divine right. You weren't born to be a, a chief. Yeah. And so, so what happened in Eastern Province and what Ubabi, um, if you like, benefited from, if you can call it a benefit, was a mistake in British policy. By not studying the ethnography of the Eastern Province, the, the belief that one policy across what was called the colony of Nigeria at the time one policy fit everywhere. Mm -hmm. So the indirect rule that was working excellently in northern Nigeria and had been introduced in a bad district of the western province wasn't going to work in the east, but they didn't know that and they didn't accept that. And so the warrant chief was an artificial creation. So it wasn't a chief queen of chiefs to be, mm -hmm. um, but it was a chiefdom that they created and they were created by a warrant issued by the right. district officer in the area, and hence the word warrant. Fair enough, so the only female king of colonial Nigeria is a king for the British, <laughs> in yeah. the British sense of the word. I've always found it interesting why some women chose to be female kings rather than queens. Um, and, you know, in my research of also languages, you know, Yoruba is considered a gender-neutral language. For example, you don't have like for example in French where you have le Nouns and la, to, yeah, right? Yeah. Like there's no gendered words and it's usually an age differentiation, like Ebon Aburu and even how you describe adjectives, right? So some women who do come into kingships, um, like in Zinga, for example. And so your question is why they took the title king? Yes. Do you think king is not a gendered rule? That that's exactly the point I was going to make, that the the title king 
it's just monarch, and it doesn't mm. it doesn't have it doesn't have male or female. Yes, um, it's the absoluteness of the authority. Yes, and I don't think when you do the translation, it fits well into English. Many Fair of these titles, yeah, 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 because even when it is only latter day historians that call Amina Queen Amina, because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's king that she, yeah, yeah it's, she, was, she was actually in every sense. An absolute monarch. An absolute monarch, yeah. I think a loss is lost in translation, I would, I would say. And I think it's important for us to resist reframing our history in a foreign language. Yeah, yeah. But when your history is just translated to you, you're going to lose a lot of the original, like yeah. <laughs> what it was yeah. about. King Ubabe ended up burying herself. So she decided to host her burial because she wasn't sure that they would give her a barrel she thought was befitting for a king. And she was right. They were she not <laughs> Because you know, you know, the, the truth about the Warren chiefdom was that they were much despised by the people who they were used to, to police. Because this was an imposed ruler. Yes. Uh, and like you pointed out earlier on, they were often chosen from the lower regarded members of society because they're highly placed older elderman people wouldn't take it mm. uh, because they knew it wasn't the, the will of the people. So this imposition became very unpopular. So she was probably right. They wouldn't have buried her <laughs> in an appropriate fashion. Yeah, so she had her burial complete with gun salutes, animal sacrifices, and songs dedicated to her life and singing the magnificent of a woman like this who has you know, there's never been a person who has lived like this. Huh? Yeah, self-praise. And she asked that she be buried as a man. But she is considered, you know, a woman. And in Enugu Ezeke, some people worship her as a goddess, actually, apparently. Till today? Yeah. Wow. Um, which is a very interesting turn of events because <laughs> she was once supposed to be a slave to a deity. And now she's a deity in her mother's village. Um... So you said that this warrant chief system was very unpopular. Yeah. And when I hear warrant chiefs, I think the Abba Women's, which I know you don't call it the Abba Women's Revolt, so <laughs> what do you call it? Well, the women's protest. The of, women's of protest. 1929. Yes. Um, you know, the, again, history accidentally, or rather, the framing of history by the British in their reporting. Uh, wanted to denigrate the incident as, a, as, as, as just the activities of a mindless mob. Mm. So calling it the Abba Women's Riot yeah. was a way of lowering it in, 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 in the hierarchy of events that were significant. It was an organised protest. Yeah, it was an organised protest. With specific demands. Absolutely. Can you tell us what those demands <laughs> were? And, and you know, the, the demands are actually interesting because one of them that was that the women's boxes should not be counted. Women's of, what? Women's boxes and personal property should mm. not be counted. Don't forget, contextually, what they were trying to introduce in the Eastern Province in 1928-29 was um, a tax. Mm. A tax on the market women. And the point the women were making was that you already tax our men. And, you know, why are we being, this is double taxation. And we don't even have a say in our own affairs. You have got these warrant chiefs. Hmm. who we don't know and don't respect. So the Warren Chief system was one of the reasons behind one of the most epochal events in the history of Nigeria, which yeah. was that uh, protest. Yeah. And the demands were simple. That we will not count our property. Yeah. 
you, you will not, uh, any woman who is a known prostitute should be arrested, and I'll explain that. <laughs> and finally, um, that the women should not be charged with rent for the market sheds because this is where they kept their produce. But the interesting thing about women who were prostitute were to be arrested, they were targeting the Warren chiefs and probably targeting the Babi herself. <laughs> <laughs> because as a chief yeah. um, in much of southern uh, Nigeria, yeah. southern protectorate of, of what was to become Nigeria, it was only the chiefs, uh, only royal women who were entitled to practice prostitution. Commoners couldn't. So it was a, literally a privilege of a woman. And so by, by saying every woman who is a known prostitute should be arrested, they knew that it would, it would relate to this warrant chief. Yes, right, because it's, it's, <laughs> it's the favoured prostitutes of the British officials who would get these collaborations, these perks, these perks <laughs> of uh, jumping a few hoops in society. Yeah, really several hoops in her case because she became, Enugu district was one of the more prominent districts. Mm. Um, and it, it, each, each of the provinces were cut up into districts. Yeah. So um, you, you, today we would probably call a district the equivalent of a, of a state. Really? That's how large that's, they were. Oh, that's quite that's large. How large they were. Yeah. Oh, wow. So she, that's a very significant <laughs> step up. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very, very much for giving me your time today and discussing this with me. The first time I actually properly read about the women's protest, and the first time I saw it described as the women's protest, was in your book, Platter of Gold, which is now a documentary on Netflix, correct? Absolutely. It, um, the Platter of Gold uh, was the, the research for it, was the basis of um, the documentary that's now called Journey of an African Colony, Making of Nigeria. Making of Nigeria, yeah. So that is available on Netflix, I think, until October of 2022. October of 2022, absolutely. Yes. Well. My memory is better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> and I also followed you to the Benin Republic on a journey to film your next documentary. That's true, which is called The Loot and the Lost Kingdoms. Yeah, and that would be out when, do you know? Um, uh, the last quarter, the qu quarter four of this year. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. So I'll keep the lie to the end. I'll keep Amani Renas to the end. So now we can do Izinga. Um, Izinga of Undongo and Matamba was... She is called the Queen in English <laughs> and on Wikipedia. But she was the absolute monarch of the kingdoms of Ndongo and Matamba. So Nzinga was born with the umbilical cord wrapped around her neck and her people believed if a royal child survives such a horrible or traumatic birth that's a sign they're going to be a very strong and powerful person. So from birth she was seen as someone who become something special and powerful. Her dad became king when she was seven and she became her dad's favorite child she trained in military um, tactics she fought alongside her dad with a battle axe and she learned portuguese from a portuguese missionary who was um captured by her father and she was you know this very fearsome woman there's a story that says that one time one of her her brothers snatched her necklace off of her while they were in the village square and she decked him like she beat him up which is why she was her dad's favorite and he felt very open and lavishing her with because she was not an heir 
So the truth is that, yes, her brother not only um, killed her son, by the way, he also forcibly sterilized Nzinga and his other sisters. What was her brother's name again? His name was King Mbadi. Yeah, he was a terrible king. And after he sterilized her and killed her child, she kind of went into exile and he had to beg her to come back because he was a terrible king. He could not defeat the Portuguese um, she came back, she saved him. When she met with the Portuguese, they refused to give her a chair. So it's one of the legendary Nzinga tales. The, she met with the Portuguese and they were sitting on chairs. They refused to give her a chair. She asked for a chair. They gave her a mat on the floor. And so she told one of her servants to bend down on all fours and sat down on his back and spoke to them in their language. Wow. Yeah. Uh, she did not take rubbish due to her military tactics her alliances and conquering of other kingdoms she was able to defeat the portuguese um, she also expanded her power because she conquered matamba which was full of warriors who sharpened their own teeth by the way into points like scary people <laughs> Um, it's not a sign of peace. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine visiting somewhere and everyone's teeth like fangs. Fangs. Every single tooth is a fang. I would not. I would not mess with those type of people. She faked her death and went into exile because the Portuguese tried to back like a male cousin or something to take the throne from her, but she defeated them. Cool woman. So yes, that is true. Because of her strength and determination, her people were not conquered by the Portuguese while she remained alive. And she died in her old age. You know, um, I think the, you know, if you've seen the Black Panther movies, I think his god, the Dora Milaje, are based on them. So the Dora Milaje, I think they're based on the Fon people of the Dahomey. Really? I think so. Because uh, oh, you think they're based on Nzinga? Yeah, I mean, I've um, well, I think they're they're pre- they're based on Dahomey, um, like Amazons. Yes, uh, so they're based on Nzinga is not Dahomey; she's oh, Angolan. Right. Yes, and I and I do want to say something. I'm glad you said Dahomey Amazons because I don't like them being called Amazons. Right, because those are because Amazons are, are just Greek. yes, they're Greek, right? But they're seen as like big, strong women. It is when people cannot understand something they see, they just try and relate it to something that they know. They're not Amazons, except in the words of the French who they were fighting. That's not what they call themselves. Yeah. So that's the so that's the, the only people are never named what they call themselves. They're named true, true. What other people call them true. Like the victors do write history, but since we do know what they call themselves, I think we should just we should call, call them that. Yes. So, but they're popularly known as the Dahomey Amazons, and that's what I knew them as for a very long time. But it's always very important to like go against the single story, especially when it comes to African history, and especially when it comes to the history of powerful Africans. So, let's go to the lie Kandake Amani Reynas. So, she was the absolute monarch of the ancient African kingdom of Kush, who was best known for skillfully defending her kingdom against the armies of the Roman Empire. She lost her husband, her son, and her eye in battle. Triple, triple threat. <laughs> she was, she's known as the one-eyed queen of the Kush kingdom because of that. 
Um, she did not cut off August Augustus Caesar's actual head, but she did cut off his head, um, the head of a statue that was dedicated to him. Close enough. Close. <laughs> and buried it under um, one of her temples so that all the people of Kush would walk over his head anytime they walk past. <laughs> yeah, it was an indicator of how much she despised the Romans. A lot of the hieroglyphics of the Kush Empire, historians have still not been able to decode them. Mm. So a lot of the history of Amani Reynas is known through Greek uh, or Roman writers at the time who were writing about her. They called her Candace because of Kandake. A lot of people call her Queen Candace. They also call it of Ethiopia because to them all black land was Ethiopia. Mm. It's like a translation thing. So a lot of people think there's a Queen Candace of Ethiopia, but it is actually Kandake Amani Reynas of the Kush Empire, which is modern day Sudan. Um, you said something about hieroglyphics and is there, was there like a strong relationship between Sudan and Egypt at the time? Yes, so the Egypt Empire, as we know it now, of it, the um, was actually once defeated by the Kush Empire, okay. and helped they helped expand it. So there are actually more pyramids in Sudan than there are in Egypt. They actually originate from Sudan. I usually don't want to save that for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, we can talk about I mean, that. It might later. be able to test our listeners' trivia. Make sure they're listening. Fair enough, yeah. but I think. Something for me that's just really awesome about Amani Reynas is that she, I find this really funny. So the Romans, the Roman historians say that uh, the Romans defeated Amani Reynas, but came and sat down to have a peace treaty. In what world uh, do you win? And then have a peace treaty. And then have a peace treaty where you agree to one, not touch their lands, and two, not tax them, and three, not ever try and invade them again. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a win to me. That does not seem like a win to me. So let's talk about how that peace treaty even came about. She sent the head of the Roman army three golden arrows saying, if you want to talk keep this as a gift because they're solid gold you know she's like if you want to talk keep this as a gift but if you want to fight keep them you'll need them wow she said knock if you buck (laughs) if you're about it be about it but if you're not let's sit down let's chat she defeated their armies at one point in time they thought they had won their capital but it was a strategic move by her because she had actually moved the capital decades earlier and she just left them hundreds and hundreds of miles in the wrong direction in the desert so they were exhausted wow yeah she was militant she was intelligent and she was a ruler of the ancient Kush and she's seen as something that's like very rare and unique by obviously foreign historians but there's actually a line of Kandake she was not the first and she was not the last so they actually it was a matrimonial society you could rule um, both men and women could rule if a Kandake felt like the man was not ruling properly they would remove him yeah they would take over um, and they kind of had like a like a group of uh, royal women who sometimes decided who would be the next ruler. 
She's described by some historians as voluptuous, which I don't know what to say about white people describing black women as voluptuous. Like, (laughs) something very off-putting. It's just something like I was reading some of these sources and I'm like, they're saying she's voluptuous, she's so dark, she's so this. And I'm like, it's so like they exotify in such a strange way. But yes, um, there's so so much to know this is just a bonus episode so obviously this is very very brief summaries about Amani Reynas, Ahebi and um, Nzinga but there's a lot to know about them and more women like them and also if anyone is interested in um, the Dahomey soldiers who we didn't really go into today but um, which the movie with Viola Davis and John Boyega is going to come out in September I believe but we, we might do a bonus on them later on but also you guys should check the trailer it's called The Woman King and you should check out uh, Plateau of Gold by Mr. Olashik Poshashere thank you guys so so much and don't forget to follow us on social media Two Truths and a Dirty Live Dirty Live podcast on some sites just you know look for us follow us join the community let's talk about history see you soon bye Everything you know it, king already, already you know it. My body so got a king body, body gon' shine, bling bling body, calling all the shots, ring ring body.